Welcome back to the third year of the Netflix podcast, Present Company. I'm your host, Krista Smith. This season, we have something really special for you. I'll be exploring universal human emotion with our guests. Fear, a word that has gathered new meaning for many of us over the past year. Thank you for joining me. Well, it's a joy to bring you today's conversation with an extraordinary young actor, already a Tony winner, a BAFTA winner, and an Academy Award nominee, the wonderful Andrew Garfield. We've already seen such versatility from him, from stage to screen, both independent films to giant franchise movies and modern masterpieces like Fincher's The Social Network. And now we get to see him sing for the very first time in Tick, Tick, Boom, the feature directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And what a performance this is. He is undeniable as Jonathan Larson, the American playwright and composer who gave the world the musical phenomenon Rent. It's about his life, the life of a struggling artist, and refusing to give up on your dreams. It's so profound, so uplifting, and I loved it so, so much. Here is the star of the show, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, I'm so happy to see you this morning and to look at your face on Zoom. It looks beautiful where you are. Uh, So thank you so much for joining me. And I have been chomping at the bit to talk to you about your new film, Tick, Tick, Boom, since I saw it. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, I loved it. I, it moved me in ways that were so unexpected. So thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to talk to you always. Very excited to be able to collaborate you with you here on this and to talk about this thing that I really care about a lot as well. And I'm so, so glad it hit you in the heart because that's the design. And it, it was definitely a heartfelt endeavor for everyone involved. Um, so, yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you about it. All right. So it's let me just let our uh, listeners know this is you play Jonathan Larson, who is uh, famously known or unknown. I mean, obviously, I was in New York at the 90s. So he was kind of a larger than life figure because he wrote Rent. And as we know, Rent went on to play for 12 plus years on Broadway. It's still playing all over the world. Uh, And he tragically died before the first performance, before he ever got to see the first performance. And Tick, Tick, Boom is another piece that he wrote before Rent. And this is where Lin-Manuel Miranda, who might be a name that our listeners also know, who wrote (laughs) and starred in Hamilton. This is his feature directorial debut. So what I want you to kind of talk to just at the top here is how did you come to work with Lynn? And and in that, did you always know of Jonathan Larson as being an actor yourself? And obviously you would have seen Rent uh, presumably at some point in, in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing. I, I, I think I had the strange advantage of coming coming to this project without much baggage, if any at all, to be honest, because my, my background isn't in musical theater. As, as you know, my background is in just theater and, and um, my training was kind of London-based theater training. So musical theater was not something kind of in my lexicon or, or my, I don't know, consciousness in, in a lot of ways. Of course, over the course of the last however many years, I've seen lots of great musicals, including the kind of the musical of the century, which was our director's musical, Hamilton. Um, and of course, my eyes have been opened to a whole nother area of culture that I was so excited to be an objective kind of fan of for a period of time. And I've always been in terribly large admiration of the the kind of the stallion nature of musical theater performers. The, it's beyond comprehension what musical theater actors specifically and dancers do on a night to night basis. And of course, my appreciation for that has been upped so greatly in attempting to, to tackle a musical on film. But in terms of my relationship with John Larson, it wasn't existent. So I came to this, I was doing Angels in America uh, in, on Broadway 2017, 2018, I think. And it's a funny story, but there's a person in New York called Greg Miele, who's a, a, a massage therapist, and he's one of my best friends. And um, 
you know, he's the kind of this secret undercover connector of all things Broadway. <laughs> no one knows that he's keeping, you know, the theater community uh, alive and, 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 and giving uh, on a nightly basis when Broadway was up and running and will be up and running again. And he works on me, he works on a bunch of people. He works on Lynn, he's a massage therapist. And Lynn was on his table one night and getting the, the shit kicked out of him. And, and Lynn said, hey, I just saw Andrew in Angels in America. Can he, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious, can he sing? I had this project, can he sing? And my friend being my friend just started to wax lyrical about my singing voice, saying it's the most <laughs> beautiful thing he's ever heard, etc." And of course he can sing and it's, you know, and he, Lynn leaves and then he, my friend Greg immediately calls me and asks me if I can sing. And uh, he informs me that Lynn's asking and, you know, he's, he's kind of my, um, my agent, my hype man, my, all these things. And I, of course I want to work with Lynn and I want to know what, what Lynn's cooking and what he's thinking. So, you know, we meet me and Lynn and he does a Q and A, I think with, with Tony and, and I and the cast of Angels in America. And then afterwards we get sushi and he kind of says to me, well, he, he, ha he, he, he hands me a, a, a musical, the score of Tick, Tick, Boom. And in the front of it, he writes, this is going to make no sense to you, but I promise you it will. Siempre, Lynn. And it was just, and, I, and it was you, you, one of those magical moments that you can feel that only a great artist can create and be that mysterious and seductive and cool. I, it was a really great moment. And it didn't mean anything to me. Jonathan Larson didn't really mean, mean much to me. Rent was something that I had heard the music from, but actually had never seen um, the film or, or on stage. So I, again, I was coming very naive. And then slowly I started to develop this very intimate relationship with John Larson through Lynn at first, and then just through my own, my own life and, and my own kind of study and my own uh, immersion into his world, into who he was and, and, and speaking to his friends and listening to the backlog of his music, the deepest cuts of his music reading anything that I could get my hands on. But I think I came to it in a way that wasn't, um, wasn't irreverent, but it wasn't reverent at the same time. And I think maybe that might have been an, an advantage because I didn't feel this tremendous pressure that maybe I would have felt if I had been a huge rent head or a, or a fan in that way. And actually it made me, maybe it enabled me to love him in a more deep, way in a more kind of realistic way that I got to know the man and not the legend. Um, and that was obviously imperative in, in order to play the, play the character in a way that wasn't just a, a lionizing idealization of, of who he was, which wouldn't have served him. I don't imagine, I don't imagine, you know, his, his spirit would have been very happy with, with, with being lionized in that way because he was imperfect and he, he owned his imperfections. And that was one of the things that made him, seemingly so loved, adored, and um, kind of universally understood was that he lent into all of his human frailty. But I, but I met with Lynn and, and Lynn, Lynn kind of, you know, he asked me if I can sing and I said, well, when do you want to shoot? And he says, a year from now. And I'm like, yeah, I can sing. It's fine. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. Um, and then I just went on this incredible journey with, with, with Lynn, with this character, with these musical theater actors and singers and dancers. And with my own voice, with an, an amazing singing coach, Liz Kaplan. Um, and, and it was, I really can't, it's impossible to sum up what, how mysterious and beautiful this experience has been and how soulful it's been. And ultimately now John inhabits a quite large chamber of my heart and, and, and will do forevermore, symbolically, but also literally. He, He's, he's become a guiding light for me in certain ways as a revolutionary artist, as someone who was um, uh, kind of countercultural in his creativity, someone who was terrified of the direction the world was going and someone who was ecologically an ecological activist, uh, a, a, a gay rights activist, uh, um, a women's rights activist, just an, an activist artist who was also incredibly funny, satirical, 
deeply affecting, deeply passionate, always turned up to an 11 and, um, yeah, had this incredible connection with, with the creative source and just allowed it to flow through him. And, and yeah, as you say, died, died on the night on the, on the opening night of the first preview of, um, of rent off Broadway. And thank God he created all that he did in the short time he had. I love hearing you, you talk about it. And for me, your, your performance is so undeniable. You are Jonathan Larson. Like you physically to me, you, you morphed into him physically and emotionally and brought this person to life. I loved it. So I, I was with him. I felt like I was watching Jonathan Larson's life. And what, what is so interesting to me about what this film is able to do is even though this takes place in the 90s and it's centered around what was happening in the world at that time, because we're living the life of Jonathan in the early 90s in New York and AIDS yeah. is exploding and uh, what is happening to that youth generation. It feels so urgent. It feels like it's happening right now. There's such urgency to this film mm. about, um, you know, the story and obviously the ticking clock, uh, you know, but this idea of the artist's integrity and what are we doing with our time? Yeah. And I feel like after the last 18 months and also whatever is awaiting us with the COVID variants and whatnot, we, we look at this, the night, that period of time feels so mirrored in what we're living through right now to a degree, even though there was no cell phones, there's no Instagram, there's no Twitter. It just yeah, feels, yeah. it feels very much like a, a mirror to that. Um, can you talk about how that resonated with you as, as an artist a little yeah. bit? Yeah. I mean, I think what you said is so spot on that there's a, and there's no there's no real mystery to why you know young people teenagers in this country particularly right now theater te theater kids they want to do two musicals it's hamilton and it's rent like there's a big resurgence in it, amongst those who who are in in the know about who jonathan larson was and and the work that he 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 gave us that's resonating now with young people in a way that you know, it's the first time that these that these young people have taken to the streets this year and, and protested and found their activist voices and found their rage, their indignant, righteous anger at uh, a culture and a, a society that is for the few and not the many. And there's a kind of uh, a clarion wake up call in all of Jonathan's work, as as is as you can find in in Hamilton, as you can find it in the Heights, it's so so. There's a real lineage there between Lynn and and John, which is of course incredibly moving and and, and beautiful. And yeah, the urgency. So the urgency of this film, the urgency of John's life, the urgency of the need for revolution, the urgency of of all of our lives, and the fact that this the 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 awakening, emerging, visceral understanding that I think we are going through collectively and individually that our time here is finite and that we get to be the masters of our own destiny, that we get to say no to the status quo, that we get to say no to systematic oppression, that we get to say no to things that do not serve the deepest parts of us, the deepest parts of our souls. I think all of these things have been bubbling for a while in our culture um, and all of those forces are kind of colliding combined with this mass pandemic combined with the i don't know the rising up of of awareness of how sick and broken and toxic the systems that we're that we're, that we're living under are where people are waking up and it's painful and it's it's devastating but then you look at someone like john baptiste the great musician who's been taking to the streets on marches and, and other artists like this. These are the people that you look at what Bo Burnham just did with, with inside. You look at, you know, what Michaela Cole did with, I may destroy you. And, and you, and, and you know that they're all in the, in the lineage of John Larson. And I, you know, that if, if there is a spirit world, John, John Larson is looking down going, yes, 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 that, that, this, this is going to be the thing that 
that wakes us up because it is urgent. Like we're in eco ecological crisis, you know, all these things. So for John, the ticking for me, and this is just my interpretation, the ticking is about all of those things. It's about being alive in the 90s while your friends who are under the age of 30 are being given death sentences because of the AIDS epidemic. And the government are not only doing nothing, but they're actively supporting this disease to rip through the populace. Um, and they are allowing specifically people in the LGBT community to be dehumanized. John's witnessing all of this. John's witnessing these, these beautiful hearts being destroyed in the most literal sense. So there's an urgency there. He, he's also, he also happens to be just one of those great artists that's, that, that is connected and tapped in to the culture, to society, can, like the wounds of the particular time that he's alive in. He can feel not only are his friends being, being killed by this deadly disease, but they're also being killed in soul and in spirit by a culture that does not want them to be artists, that sees the artist as a threat, and rightfully so, to the status quo, to you know, uh, mass commercialization, to like, you know, post-industrial, whatever, whatever you, capitalism, whatever you want to call it. All these, these things that we know are a kind of um, a numbing agent on a full life that the artist is the advocate for. So he sees all of his friends losing their dreams as well around him. Another kind of death. And add, add to that this sense of his own heart that is running out of time. He can't put his finger on what it is. And there was, a, there was a, a line in the original version of Tick, Tick, Boom that they had to cut after John had passed away at the age of 35 because it, was, it felt too on the nose, it felt too scary, and it felt they felt people will think that they added it in after the fact that he had died, but, but this, he wrote this. He wrote a line, sometimes I feel like my heart is going to explode. The terrible genius tragedy that he somewhere knew that he literally did not have a lot of time. And of course, his friends around him were going, oh my God, this indulgent guy, he, he, needs, he thinks he needs to write the next great American musical before he's 30. But actually, he had a sense, this deep unconscious ticking, this unconscious sense that he knew he had a, only a certain amount of time to, to sing all of the songs that he had to sing, and they included Rent. It was as if the art gods needed him to create Rent before he left this um, incarnate plane. And I, I feel like that's a really important aspect of this story, in, 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 but, but because it's too, it's too perfectly connected to not to not have some truth to it, to not have some mystical awareness to the fact that he, yeah, he he knew. That's my belief. That's my understanding. Is that he knew he had to get it all out. And and I hope I'm not being glib, and I hope I'm not being reductive because the tragedy of losing him and the tragedy that he was he wasn't diagnosed with Marfan syndrome until it was too late, and he didn't know that he had this thing, this heart problem. I'm, I'm in no way trying to undermine or, or, or reduce, you know, or to explain away, you know, this early death, but I find it impossible not to connect those two things. And thank God he, he produced everything that he did. Thank God he sang his song so heartily and mightily and relentlessly in the face of so much rejection, in the face of so many people telling him he wasn't going to make it, in the face of poverty and destitution and seeing his, and like, and hopelessness. He had to step up and be the advocate for his friends, for art for the artist, for a life of meaning, for hmm, the sanctity of the shortness of life that all of his friends were experiencing communally. And 
for his own voice. So yeah, the urgency, it's, it's, it's a really important factor of this, um, of this story for me. And I think for an audience, and I think that's what will, will, one of the things that will, that will grab the audience's heart, I think. I do think that there, there was another higher plane we're dealing here with, um, Jonathan Larson. I mean, who writes the play that's tick, tick, boom. It's just too, it's too much. And I can understand why they took the line out. It, that, yeah. that to me makes sense, but I want to talk about the joy. So the joy I yeah. had Krista, yeah, yeah. watching Andrew, who I've known since like uh, you came, you know, I met you right off the heels of being cast in lions for lambs, right? You were your first kind of big American feature and watching your career and obviously Spider-Man and 99 homes, one of the, like all the work you've done, but the, the joy in seeing you be so physical and I don't want to skate over the singing because you are more than holding your own against Broadway musical theater artists in this film, more than holding your own. And the, the, this dancing sequences um, and what Jonathan Larson is able, the joy he's able to bring an audience just discussing parquet floors. I don't want to really <laughs> ruin it for anybody, but that sequence and the dancing and all of yeah. that, how, how was the, for you on that day when you're doing those numbers? And there's a couple of giant numbers in this. Um, talk to me about being that experience for you and with working with Lynn and with the um, and the singing, the dancing, for, for lack yeah. of a better description. No, yeah. I mean, the joy is vital. Like, that's another part of the urgency, I think, that Jonathan had. Jonathan, you know, another aspect of him as a human being, as far as I understand it, was the joy of life, the joy of community, the joy of breaking bread together, the, the, the joy of creating together, um, the, the, that bohemian celebration, the Epicurean kind of humble celebration of the miracle of us all being alive, dancing on this spinning orb in the middle of the galaxy together. And who are we to turn our nose up at, at it or turn away from it? This is miraculous. And he, he was tapped into that. He would do these he would these peasant feasts every so often at his small little downtown apartment where everyone would bring a dish and he would just clear out all the furniture in the living room and the kitchen and just set up all these rickety tables and chairs and just feed feed the five thousand and and then go and make crepes on the roof and and dance and make music and he and you know he was he was a pied piper in that way a pied piper for the the, the, the joys and the, the kind of like co communing in, in, in joy and suffering and misery and all of it, but communing. And, and that's something that, again, Lynn was so uh, keyed into wanting to um, achieve and, as, and, 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 and me and the rest of the cast too. And then in terms of the dancing and the singing and the, the exuberance of what it is to be a musical theater performer and the kind of thoroughbred racehorse shape you have to be in. I mean, it's, you're using your body and your voice and your soul and your heart to express what it is to be a human being. And that, I mean, like as an actor, I've always known that, but then you take, you do musical theater and it just kind of goes, it just goes up a level because you get to express with your heart on your sleeve in a way that is beyond naturalism and beyond, uh, beyond the ordinary. And I, I just absolutely loved it again. You know, it was my, I go back to my friend, Greg, my massage friend, Greg. <laughs> I Miele. love it. I have to go back to like the whisperer of Broadway. Like the guys love on the DL, like making the deals happen. It's just so, oh no. it's so great because no one really thinks about the fabric of the artist community and all the people that play into it and how someone, yeah. how essential his job is obviously. And people that are doing eight shows a week totally. you know, that are out there on the boards, singing, slamming into like totally. how important that is. And that is like, he's the puppet master. I love it. It's such totally. a great detail. But not, but not only that, he's a, he's an advocate <laughs> for musical theater. He's and, and theater generally and the arts. Like he's, he's someone where you're on his table that will just be show, like, like, like going through clips of the most obscure, strange musicals that he's like decoded from his old VHS recordings to to you know his DVR in in his in his living room while he's like like just beating the crap out of your shoulders and he's just he's he's talking you through the Grey Gardens musical like moment by moment by moment like he's 
And he, and he only spreads good gossip, my friend Greg. He, he's just like, I got some good gossip for you. It's just compliments. And um, that's I, just good gossip. And I'm like, oh, I love you so much. And But again, Lynn was on the table. And I was, remember talking to Greg while we were prepping. I was like, you know what? Uh, I don't know if the, Greg was like, you can be dancing. You can be dancing because you're a great dancer, Andrew. Oh, you're a great dancer. And I was like, you don't know that. And he, and he said, oh, no, you have to dance. I'm like, no, I don't think there's going to be much dancing in this because it's more of a rock musical. I don't even think we have a choreographer at the moment, blah, blah, blah. He was like, okay. And then the next time I come in, he's like, so I spoke to Lynn and I convinced him to put in some numbers. So you should be getting to, to strut your stuff in this movie now, Andrew. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, that number. Oh, that number. My favorite number is the one uh, in the apartment and just the joy of- With Mike, yeah. With Mike about dancing about, you know, the small victories in life. Yeah. Uh, Which I love that Jonathan celebrated to your point, like you were saying, it's those small victories of just friends being together and being alive and like having an apartment that was bigger than one room. And that was worth an entire- Higher musical number. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it was yeah, yeah, so yeah. effective and it worked so beautifully. I loved it. I love seeing your physical uh, talents on display too. That's very kind. I, I mean, I love doing it. Like I, it's, it, it was just pure, it was pure joy. It was hard, hard joy, hard one joy. And we had an amazing choreographer, an old friend of mine, Ryan Heffington, who lots of people know now. And, and he's been doing amazing stuff during lockdown, during all the COVID stuff he's been doing great at home dance session workout communal hangouts he's just a remarkable artist and he created some just beautiful choreography that we got to do but um but yeah it was just it was it was it was joyful and exuberant and deeply challenging and it took a village like all of us together and again i i think the main thing i remember a moment in singing rehearsals and like music rehearsal we were in a studio it was my first time I'd, I'd met Alex Lackamore previously who's Lynn's right hand and does all of his composition and arrangement of all, all of his music and he was working with the actors myself Vanessa Hudgens Joshua Henry Robin De Jesus, and me I think it was just us for that day and he, we were just singing through songs and I, I was at the front and then the other three guys were, were sat behind me and I've never had a music stand with my notes and note and like my, a pencil and, and I'm sat in front of like this wall of like, like just the like ethereal, passionate, thoroughbred racehorse voices. And I'm just it's like a sound bath for the senses. And then it comes like my time to sing. <laughs> and this is the beginning of my journey. This is like a year before we start whatever we start before we start shooting. So I'm just starting my work. And I remember getting through like a couple of phrases and Lacamore, Alex Lacamore is the greatest. I don't know. He's, he's just, he, he's a just magician, but his, I finished a phrase and, La- and it wasn't good. And Lacamoire was like, woo, what? And everyone behind me were like, oh, Andrew, 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 you got it, baby. And I'm like, you're all, del- you're all so supportive. <laughs> like you're the most loveliest. Like I almost cried because I knew it wasn't good, but they knew they had to make me believe that I could get to where I needed to get to. And I think about three or four minutes went by and, and, and Lacamoire was talking me through some things. And I was, I had this mix of shame and joy, like, like pure, like love and joy. And I, and I, and I, after Alex had said a bunch of stuff to me, I just turned to everyone. I said, Hey, just, just quickly. I don't want to let this moment pass, pass, but this is my favorite thing I've ever done. I love you guys so much. Like it was, it was a very pure moment of, Oh, there, I have a bunch of, wind in my sails from these geniuses and they're not going to let me fail and that it proved to be the kind of ethos from then on where I I, I and I felt it from Lynn from the outset too there, there was this musical theater optimism and a support and a selfless generosity and an aw- and maybe just a wisdom and an awareness that I didn't have that 
if you work at it, you'll get there. And if you're encouraged, then your voice will open up. Well, you feel it. And and the, the cast, uh, it was great to see Vanessa Hudgens. It's great. Alexander Ship was amazing. It's like, I loved um, everybody that populated this film as well. It feels like it, just the casting was, was spot on. Uh, when I was, last night I was reading up a couple of stories that you've done in the past. And one of the things that I wrote down that caught me was when you were a gymnast, you were talking about when you were younger, obviously your, your father was a swim coach, like physical stuff was very much a part of your childhood. You, you were very good at acrobatics and whatnot. And the joy that you had when you completed a backflip, I forget what article it was very early on when you were starting. And you just said like, there's nothing like that feeling of being able to complete that. And I feel like I'm hearing, like you just did a backflip <laughs> in Tick, Tick, Boom. You got back to that yeah. feeling yeah. of doing that kind of, oh, can I really do this? This is impossible. Am I really going to yeah. be able to do this? And I did it. Yeah, I think I love that. I love that as an analogy. It's, And I think, isn't that just the gift of getting challenged and finding the next mountain that seems impossible to climb and I felt like I, I feel like I've had that maybe you're right as, as I think about it there's definitely been lots of those kinds of moments I felt it with you know all the way through through my career so far at different moments at different points most recently with Angels in America and going well there's no way of doing this there's it's impossible that this is a backflip that cannot be completed and then lo and behold, you get to the end and, you, and, you, and you're on the peak of the mountain and, you, and, you, and, you, and you've just crawled inch by inch by inch by inch. You've had to have the perspective of, of an ant all the way through in order to get through it. And I think the same, you know, it's, I'm lucky that I, I got very lucky that Lynn saw some latent potential for me to play this part because I didn't, I wouldn't have chosen me. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that he did because I got to, yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 as I get older, it's, I don't know, it's, it's harder to find things that are challenging. It's harder to find things that I haven't, that I haven't done and, and get the opportunity to do them. You know, there's plenty of things I haven't done in my life, but in terms of professionally to keep, to keep myself um, doubtful is actually really important in a way to keep myself doubtful that I can achieve a thing is enlivening, I think. Uh, and, and it's torturous, but it's in the, in the good way. And, and as an artist and as a human being, right, how do we stay on the edge of ourselves permanently expanding and growing and, uh, you know, having our, our consciousness, you know, stretch and our sense of self stretch. And that that's, I guess, my my intention in terms of that back backflipping mm -hmm. analogy is kind of, yeah, I like that. Thank you for yeah. reminding me of that. Absolutely. I want to ask you about some of the directors you've worked with in your career. Mike Nichols, David Fincher, Martin Scorsese, Robert Redford. What have you learned from each of them? Yeah, I mean, each experience was has been totally individual and and uh, deeply affecting and and changing and and I was a different person at each moment at each time of making each film um fincher taught me about or, or re reaffirmed to me that discipline and time and squeezing every single drop out of out of the lemon is what we're here for devotion to the scene devotion to the story and it, it's like plug that to my veins because you know at, at first of course you go well a hundred takes for picking up an envelope i don't know if you're insane and then you understand it by doing it and it becomes devotional <laughs> it becomes you know a ritualistic for me you know kind of uh, religious experience where you are just giving yourself so fully in body and soul and heart to, to the story. And I absolutely adore it. Um, I work, and then I, and then I got to work with my friend Spike Jones on a short film 
called I'm Here. And he was my hero growing up and remains a creative hero and friend. And from him, it was all about staying close to the seven-year-old in me and the kind of the, the, it's called a play. So play. Um, and then with Redford, he really awoke some political aspect of me, which I, which had, which was a little bit dormant in talking to him and in hearing how he founded Sundance and in learning about how he was, how he's been such a kind of political activist all of his life. And, you know, watching his body of work with Three Days of the Condor and all the president's men and, you know, the candidate, all these things kind of awakened some uh, art being able to be political in a way that I wasn't maybe aware of previously. Um, Scorsese was just being with an, a kind of a, a, an uncompromising master who whose devotion, like spiritual devotion to his craft and to, and I got to work with him in, in obviously where he, where he was combining two passions, one being his Catholicism and the other being cinema. It's maybe his two main passions of his life. So I got to be of service to, to him and his vision there. Um, and then with Mike, Oh, well, Mike became a, a, a mentor. Mike, Mike became a mentor to, to, a lot, to a lot of people in his later years. And oh, it's impossible for me to sum up anything about Mike and about my experience with him and, and how it continues to inform me as a human being and, and me as a, um, an actor or a creative person. But, I, you know, one thing I can say is that, you know, he, you see a man who who spread himself like seed and left no, held on to no part of himself, gave himself away so entirely as an artist, as a man, his wisdom, his brilliance, his um, support, his sponsorship, his humor, his wit, his elegance, he left it all here. And that feels more to me like uh, an example of how to live rather than anything else. He, he, he was just a, an incredible beacon of, of how to live one's life, very much in the vein of John Larson. Just leave it all here. You can't take any of it with you. You want, you want to be the richest man in the graveyard? Oh, okay, good luck with that. I'm, I'm leaving it all here, you know? That, that, that felt like the most profound thing that I learned from Mike, just from being with him is just seeing him give himself away so generously. Mm -hmm. I've seen that's interesting. I know so many people that were not so many, but a, a dear few friends yeah. that have been mentored by him. Certainly in the, in the last part of his life, he was tremendously generous with his time and his mind. Uh, one of the things I'm talking about on the podcast this season is I like to pick a theme and it's a theme that's very <laughs> relevant to me and that's fear um mm. especially in the what we're living through and for myself like how my fear anxiety will manifest in my work or obviously being a parent but i'm curious because i feel like fear is an intrinsic part of an artist's life one you most I, when i talk to actors and and filmmakers it's the fear of i don't think i can do this so i have to do it um yeah. this part scares me so i'm kind of curious for you um obviously it had a punctuate moments of catharsis and joy for you obviously um but like how do you how do you deal with that mix of of fear for you and what is fear how does it manifest for you now oh my god <laughs> no, I mean, it's uh, such a good question. It's a very pertinent question right now for everybody, obviously. And everyone has had such a different experience of this last year and a half of um, reordering of the psyche, reordering of priorities, reordering of... I'm, I'm, I'm on an edge here in this question where I, I want to talk about something that is... In very, it's the only way of really answering this question honestly. So I will. Um, everything changed for me 
bef- just before COVID when my mother passed away. Hmm. Um, and she had been sick for a long time with a really, really hot, with pancreatic cancer, really, really horrible um, bout of pancreatic cancer. And she fought and she tried to stay alive for a year and a half. And then ultimately she, that it was her time to go and she couldn't, she couldn't, um, it was, it was just her time to go. I won't go into the details, but that experience has created a new foundation or, or it's brought me down to a new bedrock of, of what it is to be alive an understanding of myself and life itself and death, you know, mm-hmm. I've lost people. I lost Mike. We all lost Mike and people that knew him to differing degrees, lost him in deeper or lighter ways. I've lost other friends to addiction, suicide, lost grandparents, but there's something else that happens when it's a parent, specifically your mother, I think I'll speak for myself. And, you know, she was someone who had a real lust and longing to live fully. And like all of us had our, had her own limitations and, and fears around, um, whether or not she would allow herself to do that. So I'm in the rubble of that. I'm in the rubble of, well, now I know that this doesn't last forever. The person that brought me life is no longer here in this, on this incarnate plane. And it's the worst thing I can imagine going through at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that is, also kind of saying in response to your question, well, what is there to fear now? If that thing that was the most terrible thing that could imaginable that that has now happened. And I'm, I have a certain amount of peace with it and a certain amount of, of, um, angst with it still, of course, it's, it's, it's hard to fully accept. And the other mysterious thing of, it being that way around is the best case scenario. Meaning me losing her is a, a tale as old as time. <laughs> it's like, this is, this has been happening. Sons and daughters have been losing their mothers and their fathers since the dawn of time. And yet when it happens, it feels totally singular and totally um, impossible at the time in the moment. And, and yet it's, it's the design, it's the setup. So, so that's happened. So I think it's giving me a bit more of a integrated acceptance of living with fear of living and stepping into, as you say, stepping into the, the type of fear that says, Oh, you have to go there. You have to go to the place where, because that's where you are going to grow. And that's where you are going to become more of what you are already. And that's where parts of you are going to wake up. And that's where, you know, a series of those events of stepping into that, that terror. If, if that, that, that's the, that's the way that Mike Nichols lived. He kept terrified. <laughs> he kept stepping into the jaws of the lion. And For then at the end of decades. Yeah. And then at the yeah. end of his life, he was able to go, huh? Yeah. Good. <laughs> You know, that's my projection, but, um, you know, again, and, and tying it back to John, John Larson, because I got the privilege of bringing all of that experience I had just lived through with, with my mother into the, this project. I got to go and tell John's story and talk about the urgency and the sacredness of life and the shortness of life. And I got to sing my mother's song while singing Jonathan's songs and my own and all of Jonathan's friends song. It, it was this, it's, it's become bigger than I could ever have imagined in terms of a spiritual experience. So my mother, Lynn Garfield is very, very much in this film in spirit through me. Her song is being sung through me and 
through Jonathan. It's mm-hmm. it's so beautiful. Like I, I can't describe how how grateful I am for art, for for the artist, for for Jonathan as specifically as an artist who wrote about the things he was writing about grief and loss and longing to live, and how do we live and wrestling with the question of how we live, and the fact that I got to sing my mother's song on Jonathan's notes with Jonathan's lyrics. I mean, yeah, that's um, beautiful. a profound there's gift. No, there's no coincidence. I mean, I, I, yeah. first, I just want to say I'm really sorry for your loss. I lost my mom at a young age as well. And it's forever is a long time. It's very, yeah. very, um, it's hard, but you do like, I love how you just articulated, you know, you, you carry her through your performance and your work and who you are. And it's interesting that fear it's true. What do you, what do we have to fear at this point? Um, I love the way you articulated that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I have one last question for you and then I will let you go. Uh, and I ask everybody this, and I think it's particularly interesting, um, because you've had such a unique trajectory Um, And I feel like young actors now, at least from my observation, there's so much pressure around things that don't actually affect the craft of acting, whether it's you have to be on social media, you have to create this persona, you have to have a certain number of followers, you know, there's this obsession um, with creating your own reality show, even though you're supposed to be someone else in every role that you do. That's the basis of acting. What advice do you have for the young person um, coming up in the creative world, whether they want to be an artist, a musician, or an actor? Um, What would you give them and what would you tell them? It's a really big question. Um, And it is much, it's hard to sum up in a short answer because one of the things that I've done during, especially during the pandemic and being in, in lockdown is I've done lots of or a good few um, Q and A's with with that very particular question in mind with with young actors, whether they're at drama school with um, you know other organisations that work with you know young up and coming wanting to pursue this as a career and as a as a craft, and the conversations are always so great. They're always about an hour and a half, two hours, and we don't even scratch the surface because of the thing. One of the reasons it's so hard to answer is because there is this question that you ask that you have to get, you have to get through, you have to get below because what you just described about the, a new pressure on young people. And yes, of course that includes young artists and actors is this public persona thing which has taken um, precedent over the soul of the work in a lot of ways and the soul of the, of the person, the true self of the person. We're, we're, we're being told to be marketers and advertisers for ourselves and be able to sell rather than be and create from that deeper source um, that, that Jonathan was creating from and that I attempt to create from and that anyone worth their soul is longing to, you know, uh, pull pull stuff up from advice is a tricky word as well like i i think i think as soon as you start advising anyone especially young people that it's there's a switch off that happens and i understand that (laughs) no and i think i think it's true true. and i think it's true and i think it's right i think what's much more powerful that i've found is sharing my own struggle sharing my own vulnerability and um uh, uh so so for me what i would say is it's been, I found it really challenging and really hard to um, stay true to myself throughout all of this because of the, the the pressures that you're talking about, social media platforms and engaging in that way. And listen, I'm not knocking it, but it, but it can't be the whole cake. I, I think about that great Agnes DeMille quote of no artist is ever satisfied. Only the, We only have this queer divine dissatisfaction that keeps us striving and keeps us more alive than, than the rest. It's about getting in touch with that never-ending supply of dissatisfaction. And, and Mike, you know, Mike, again, just to quote Mike Nichols, he, he, he said to me once, I'm not concerned about you because you're just like me. You, you really don't think much of yourself. There's something about 
wrestling with our limitation and our humility and our longing for the perfect that is maybe maybe the meal that's maybe the journey and actually you know you look at Michaela Cole and you look at what she created um from her soul from the depths of her soul messy and beautiful and elegant and and vulnerable as hell and naked and raw and 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 genius and 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 you go well there's the template or you look at John, you look at what John did, you look at what Bo Burnham's done, you look at, you look at Lynn, you look at, you look at the great creators and you go, well, that costs. It's not, it's not easy, actually. And it doesn't have to be and it's not meant to be. Um, it, there's a beauty in the struggle, there's a beauty in the digging and there's another old alchemical idea where, where the, the gold is in the shit. You don't, you don't, you don't get to the gold by, by ascending. You actually get to the gold by going down. You go down into the bile and the muck and the, and the shit. And you've got to dig around your own woundedness to maybe find the gold that's in there, to maybe find the gifts that are in there. For me, it's what, it, what is it about our own unique woundedness that makes us uniquely gifted? And, um, and that that will then hopefully, I think, tap us into a universal truth in some way. One of the things I did love, and I will end on this, which ends on Jonathan Larson, which is that great scene uh, with Judith Life, who plays very important person in Jonathan Larson's life at the time as agent. And she says to him after a perceived gigantic failure for him, you're going to go back and you're going to write. And then uh -huh. you're going to write again and then you're going to keep writing. <laughs> yeah. That gave me full body chills and brought a tear to my eye because that yeah. is the, that is the human condition of what it is to be an artist. Like, and it, you, you, you talk about it in the, you know, we look at the Mike Nichols in the scope of a success. We look right. at these people only through the lens of success. Right. But Oftentimes with most artists, there's way more failure than there is success. And I'm sure you could speak to that on another level personally about totally. your, your career could be looked through a lens of like, oh, and this and that. And it's all this perfect, you know, success story. But it isn't. Right. No, it's not. And I, yeah. And it's, it's so vital to remember that. And again, tying back to social media and, and, and that we only really polish our gold on social media. We don't we don't pick our maggots. You know, it encourages us to, you know phase two now any imperfection and uh actually it's it's thank god what is it that carl jung said i see you suffered a success any experience where you get humbled where you get to experience your own humility your own humanity and your own loss oh man lucky you because because then if you get back on the horse and if you eventually do win whoo that's uh, that's a true victory, and you'll win well. You'll be uh, a man, a person that knows what it is to lose, and that has an empathy for for what it is to lose, and and isn't arrogant, isn't a bully, isn't egotistical, isn't a braggadocio kind of whatever. Like it's humility is a beautiful and terrible experience. So great to see you, Andrew. Thank to this film you. is so fantastic. I can't wait until everyone gets to see Tick Tick Boom, and it's been great catching up. Likewise, thank you. I'm excited for people to watch it as well. It's it's I haven't felt this way about a film in a long time, and I it's so full of heart, and it's um it's Jonathan Larson's heart, and he he allows us to be in all of our collective hearts. So yeah, thank you for helping support it. Thanks so much for joining me. Tick Tick Boom is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.